do you stop and think once in a while, like, how in the F did I get here? Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Anytime I hear any of my songs play anywhere, I'm just like, this is crazy. Like, it wasn't that long ago that I was just at the restaurant, like, listening to the radio, being like, I wonder if I'll ever have a song for you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's very Little long. did you know. Seriously. I know. To, like, a few years later, you were kind of everywhere. Totally. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of On the Porch with Front Porch Music. Once again, it's me, producer Jason. This week on the show, Logan and Jenna talked to Griffin Palmer, and if you haven't heard that name before, you must be living under a rock. This kid has been blowing up a lot recently, and he's kind of been everywhere. They talked about what it's like to have a record deal, what it's like cutting tracks for artists like Keith Urban, and an interesting familial connection to The Bachelor. Once again, just want to remind you that if you enjoy the show, please do leave us a positive review uh, and make sure you tell your friends that we exist because we rely a lot on good word of mouth to get ears on the show. Anyway, enjoy the cast and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. We are sitting on the porch with Griffin Palmer. Griffin, welcome to the virtual front porch. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, we are super excited to dive right in with you today, but first we wanted to give you an opportunity just to say a little bit about who you are. There's obviously, I mean, you're like, are you top 15 at country radio right now or top 20 still? I think we're almost top 10 right now. I think you are well, too. First I really of all, congrats. That's pretty yesterday. freaking cool. Uh, yeah, that's Thank insane. So cool. obviously we have lots to talk about, but why don't we start with who the heck are you and who are we hearing singing second guessing on the radio across Canada right now? Sure. Um, well, my name is Griffin Palmer. I grew up in Pickering, Ontario. So for all my Ontario oh people, hometown. Um, yeah, I've been singing and playing music ever since I was a little kid. My dad was always in bands and stuff. So he kind of showed me what he knew. And then I took it from there. And uh, I moved to Ohio when I was in college to play rugby on a rugby scholarship. And the whole time I was just playing at bars and stuff and paying my way through school. And so once I graduated, it was time to kick it up a notch. And uh, I signed a publishing deal in Nashville with Big Lab Publishing and started writing a lot of songs for other artists like Keith Urban and Porter Georgia Line and a bunch of Canadian artists too, Mackenzie Porter, Jade Eagleson, Reclaws, a bunch of people. And uh, then this year I put out my first record by myself um, with myself singing and my new single is Second Guessing, which is at radio now, which is the one you guys are hearing in your cars, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd be like, hear, people will be hearing your songs in the car, just like casually on the drive home? You like dream about it when you're young and you wonder what it's going to be like. And then it sneaks up on you. And one day you're playing on the radio and it just feels really surreal. <laughs> no kidding. I actually want to back up for uh -huh. one quick second. You went to Ohio State University? It's called Bowling Green State University, but Bowling it's Green. in Ohio. Cool. What did you go to school mm -hmm. for? I got a degree in communications and musical theater performance. Okay. So music <laughs> was kind of always part of the plan. School-wise. Yeah. Rugby was the distraction, it sounds like. Kind of. I mean, I loved rugby. All of my friends uh, from my whole childhood and stuff all played rugby. So that was kind of the world I was in. And I really enjoyed it when I was playing, but I was never intending on like going pro or doing anything like that. It was just kind of my way to go through school and see a lot of the country and, you know, have some fun while I was figuring out the greater path to music. That's kind of cool. So when you're deciding on school like that, and I mean, to go back to the school more, um, you know, from Toronto or Pickering, um, 
what is that process like like what like what's going through your head when you're trying to find a school because like ohio seems like to us a very random place to go (laughs) it is a pretty random place for sure now i was doing like what everyone else was doing back home you know applying to a bunch of local schools and stuff like that um and then i just so happened i had a friend who was already going to the school in ohio and he was a year older than me so i just went to go visit him one year and uh, he was playing on the rugby team there and I just like practiced with the team and got to know the coaches and whatever. And uh, I guess from that weekend, whatever, they were really excited about the idea of me maybe going there and playing. So they sent me a really nice email and said, hey, like whatever it'll take to get you here. Like we'd love to start that conversation or whatever. And so from that moment, I just told my parents and stuff. I was like, I'm going to Ohio. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to go. And uh, we made it happen. Like, and yeah. No chance you're going to Ohio. <laughs> No, they were pretty excited for me. Uh, they definitely thought it was like pretty random, but that's like pretty normal for me. I feel like I'm just constantly deciding to do weird, crazy things. Like I know with the whole music thing, it just kind of came out of the blue uh, where I started getting these opportunities and they were like, okay, just go do what you got to do. And uh, yeah, so they're really supportive like that. That's pretty cool. I think we say sometimes that um, things like this, you have a horseshoe up your ass. We've said this a few times on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I mean, there's a lot of hard work involved, but also a lot of luck and a lot of like doors opening at the right time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, I don't think you'd be honest if you said it, it, there was none of that involved with making it in this industry, you know? Absolutely. That makes total sense. That's really cool. Um, So you hung up your rugby shoes? (laughs) Cleats? Boots? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Jenna trying to make a thoughtful analogy and it's not working. I was like, uh, this is similar to football. I don't actually know what rugby is. Anyways. Um, and you decide to play a safer sport and that is jumping into your music career. So that's pretty cool. Um, so you got your publishing deal and mm-hmm. you were writing for how, how long were you like, when did you move to Nashville and like kind of how long, how did that come about the publishing piece? I moved to Nashville at the beginning of 2019. And so how it all started was I was back home in Pickering um, right after I graduated college because my visa expired and I was working at a Mexican restaurant and just writing on my free time, trying to figure out how I can get a visa and stuff to move to Nashville. And I went to a random house party one day and I didn't even know the guy who was having the party. I just knew friends that knew him. And so I went and I I met this girl there and she was kind of asking me what my whole deal was and what I was trying to do with, with my whole life. And I said, well, I'm working at a restaurant now, but I'm trying to be a songwriter. And she said, well, my boyfriend's a songwriter. And I said, no kidding. So I met him at the party and he had written a bunch of number one songs for Shawn Mendes. And his name's Jeff Warburton. He's Grammy, Grammy nominated and super mm-hmm. successful guy. Uh, anyway, we just kind of hit it off because what a chance we both, encounter. <laughs> I know we're from the same hometown. We both played rugby, but we never met until we were like in our 20s. This is where the uh, anyway, so yeah, that's one of the horseshoe moments for sure. <laughs> but we just started writing songs like when he was home from riding trips or whatever, and I was off work, whatever. And so he was obviously connected with a bunch of high up people and executives in the music industry that were always asking him what he was up to lately. And so he would just pass on these songs to these people when they were asking. And um, I kind of got connected with my management company, Starseed Entertainment. And through them, um, they kind of reached out to Big Loud, who's now my label and my publisher. And they were in town in Toronto for like 48 hours. And we squeezed in a meeting because we asked if they had any spare time. They had like 30 minutes. And I just went and I sang a bunch of songs for them. And then like two weeks later, they flew me down to Nashville 
And I met with the publishing team and wrote with a lot of the writers there. And uh, that's kind of what got the ball rolling on publishing. They offered me a deal and I moved to Nashville probably two months later and started writing full time. So it went from working at a restaurant to full time staff writer in like two months. That's pretty great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So we, we we hear from a lot of artists, you know, they, they go into a room to talk to a label or prospective labels and play music for them. But I've never actually asked anyone what goes through your head when you're in that room is it because like it seems like it might be a little weird because like you're playing for like music but you're playing for like not necessarily a fan but trying to like convince someone to be a fan to then sign you like is that the weirdest dynamic or like what was that like I feel like it's scarier before you go in and do it you know because you know on the drives there you're like okay these people are really important I really hope they like my music because they're kind of like sussing you out a little bit when Mm. when they're meeting you and stuff but once you're in front of people it's the same as playing to anyone you know you're just in a room and there's like five or ten people and you're just playing songs for them and you know they're still music fans at the core right or else they wouldn't be doing what they're doing so you know they react just like normal people and they're they were super nice and anyone i've anytime i've ever played for a room of executives or anything like that it's always been the same where everyone's just super appreciative that you're there and you know, even if they don't like it, they're not going to tell you right there. So <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so how did that feeling of walking into that room compare to when you had your appearance on Songland, when you were walking out onto that audition process? Songland was way scarier <laughs> because, well, one, you know that it's not just those five people that are going to see you. You know, it's like the whole world or whoever's watching. Plus, I'd never, I'd never even performed or written with any one of that caliber before you know like the Shane McAnally's or Ryan Tedder's or the FGL guys yesterday so I was really nervous yeah just the little guys (laughs) so I was really nervous about that plus like when I was performing that song on the show like the newly written one second guessing I had only written it like a few days before so it was like I had to kind of relearn a song that was different than how I've been singing it for the past year year and a half since I wrote it the, the first time so you're trying to remember words and all the stuff's going through your head. And yeah, you're definitely, your brain's definitely going like a million miles an hour at that point. When you get your initial audition, do you know who you're playing? Like what artist you're going to be pitching to? Like, do you, do you no. know? So no? typically okay. on the show, like we, when we all got there, they sat us down in a room and they're like, okay, are you guys ready to know who you guys are pitching to? Cause you just kind of pitch when you submit a song in, it's just like a general song okay. pitch. They don't okay. put the list of who's on it. Cause they okay. keep that up as a surprise for the episode, right? Right. So yeah, it's kind of funny looking around the room and seeing everyone's reaction to who they're writing for, you know? Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you have, when you originally wrote Second Guessing, did you have any idea in mind, obviously not who was gonna um, potentially cut it, but did you have like a sound in mind and you're like, this would go well with this person? Like, you know, when sometimes you're in the, like you, you write a great song, you're like, this isn't for me. But I think this would sound really good with this artist. Did you have anybody else in mind? Uh, not when I was writing that song. I have done that before, but 99 times out of 100, you're like way off of whoever ends up singing it. <laughs> you did you know? guess the line. <laughs> no. Uh, so I, I knew I wanted it to sound like a wedding song. You know, I had like general kind yep. of a template of what I wanted it to be like, but I definitely had no idea that that would end up being a Florida Georgia Line song. Wild. Did you learn Mm -hmm. something new from that experience other than live television and the obvious scary things? 
Uh, I learned a lot from Shane, um, especially just writing specifically for one artist. You know, typically you're trying to write the best song you can, and then that gets pitched to a ton of artists, and then they could just pick whatever ones they relate to or whatever. But I've never had the job of writing specifically for one artist that's going to hear it, and it's going to be for them. So that was pretty interesting to like put your brain into like their brain and just like be like, what would I say if I was for the Georgia line, you know? Um, did you, had you had previous cuts? Cause you have some, like you said, with like Mackenzie Porter, I think you have some really cool pop cuts too with, I forget the band name now. Bank the Bank Camino and Chelsea yeah. Cutler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any of this music out already? Did they have any of this music out already before you were on Songland? Uh, so like no. A, a timeline but- in. I'm trying to put a timeline together here. So my my first cut I ever got was uh, a song called Polaroid that Keith Urban put on his last record. Yep. But that song came out about a week before the Songland episode aired. So when I um, when I recorded or filmed Songland, I had nothing out. And then I just kind of had two songs come out back-to-back weeks in like a crazy whirlwind. So yeah, it all kind of came at the same time. That's pretty cool. You are living really in cool. a whirlwind, obviously. So that's yes. You came onto our radar, not too too long ago, and the reason why you came onto my radar is I noticed that there were a lot of people searching on Google for someone named Griffin Palmer in the country, <laughs> in like the country space in Canada. So I was like, who the hell? And you know, as soon as you uh, the the announcement of your record deal and then being on the Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor 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 (laughs) um and with that news dropping like the searches for your name have been huge like i don't know if anyone shared that with you but you like there's been a while where where you were trending on google uh in google searches in canada um probably just my parents (laughs) it's just your parents (laughs) that's funny uh i can tell you it was more than just your parents unless you have like hundreds of thousands of parents (laughs) But, like, that kind of whirlwind, like, have you had a chance really to step back and really think about what that's been like or, like, what that whirlwind – or, like, to acknowledge that, that that you're even in that whirlwind? Um, I don't know if I truly understand it. It's hard to see it all at once from, like, a broad scope. Mm. I just kind of, like, experience little pieces of what it kind of means to me. Like, like now that I'm on tour and stuff and I'm – going to all these towns I've never been to before and I start playing a song and then there's random people that know the words and I'm like oh wow people seem to be knowing who I am or knowing this music and so I see it in more of like a day-to-day personal way instead of like a how many google searches do I have way (laughs) yeah if that makes sense that does make sense I'm the nerd so that makes sense probably safer to stay away from the numbers anyways because it's super easy yeah. to get like stuck on them right? yeah it's a lot healthier to stay away from the numbers um mm-hmm. i think it was funny actually i spent so you were a highway find um mm-hmm. series xm and i think i was in the car for like two hours max and i notoriously flipped through the station so i put the highway on and i'm like oh i was driving with my mom i was like oh this guy's from ontario and she's like really, isn't that a station in the U.S.? And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Like, hundreds of thousands of people have access to this radio station every day. And then I flip mm-hmm. it to, like, the radio station in the region, and frickin' second guessing comes on, and I'm like, do you remember this guy? She's like, clearly not fucking listening to a word I say, mother. Uh-huh. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? And I'm like, 
This is the guy from Ontario that was on the high. Oh, right, right, right. This is in the same car ride. I shit you not. And then we flip it to Top of the Country Radio and it's on. And I'm like, well, okay. I'm going to learn every word of this song one way or another. <laughs> That's great. Hopefully you're not sick of it yet, but I don't that is really cool. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we still, it's still like charting high. Like it's still, if you break top 10 with your first single, that's pretty great. Like, mm-hmm. that will yeah, be it's cool. been really cool. Like the whole Sirius XM thing, like I never expected that, you know, they added the song two days before it even came out. So I heard it like on the radio before I heard it on Spotify or Apple music or YouTube or anything. So, um, yeah, it was very, very crazy. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, we should probably go back to the bachelor experience because we kind of grazed over that. You've had a lot of like really cool things, you know, like it's all, it's all very cool. Um, are you a bachelor fan? Did you watch the bachelor? Uh, I feel like in order to call yourself a Bachelor fan, you have to be like a true, like watch every episode of Bachelor fan. Okay. Because people are very protective over their Bachelor fandom. Um, I enjoyed the Bachelor. She'll come after you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very careful about that now. Uh, But the Bachelor's been like a part of my family for a long time because my cousin's always been involved with the Bachelor. He was like the Bachelor when I was in like second or third grade. So I remember watching him when I was a little kid. And uh, now he's the host of the show, right? So it's like always kind of been around our fa- our family, but I've never been like a week in, week out watcher. Really? That just blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, the host, Jesse Palmer, that's my cousin. Oh, no way. You know, you hear Palmer twice and you're like, that can't be, but it is. <laughs> oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. The Bachelor mm-hmm. is like, you're you're right. It's an absolute beast when it comes to their fanhood. Um, yeah. Did you have, did you experience that fanhood when you uh, made your appearance on The Bachelor? Definitely on like socials and stuff like that. Like just seeing people live tweeting about the show and sending like little messages on Instagram or tagging me and stuff. You definitely feel like a wave of people watching. That's when you realize like, oh, there's like a million eyeballs watching this same thing as me right now. <laughs> that is so overwhelming. <laughs> Yeah. But in the moment, it's probably not quite as scary, right? Because there's a whole, like, production around it. And, like, they're fo- – well, actually, I've, like – I have I remember I used to watch Bash. I remember, like, they always have the music episode where somebody's doing a slow dance. Is that how it went, the whole thing? Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, I mean, they're so good at what they do. They've got it down to a science now. It's, like, I, I don't even know how many seasons in. Um, so it's cool that, like, they film it in a way where it's, like, a true experience for the date. So, like, they didn't know we were there. We were kind of, like, tucked away, oh. like, away from the cameras. Then we go up through, like, a back elevator and sneak into the set, and then you just play. So it kind of feels like you're just playing, like, a private show for these people who are genuinely excited and surprised that you're there. So, um, yeah, I feel like I, like, understood the enormity of it and, like, how lucky I was to be there and, like, the importance and the how iconic that show is. But uh, when I was in the moment, it was just kind of like an intimate performance for this couple, if that makes sense. That probably took away some of the potential fear you may have had, right? Like, I can play for two people. (laughs) Yeah. It it was almost like after I performed, I was like backstage or I guess offset. We weren't really on a stage. (laughs) Um, But I was like, I hope like I performed it well, like for cameras, because like I wasn't even thinking about cameras. I was just thinking about the couple the whole time. But I think that's what made it kind of nice and, you know, genuine. I don't know. I was going to say, that was probably better than just like, where are they? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So 
you've done The Bachelor, Highway Find, all of the things. Um, and now you have your debut album out. So, like, first of all, like, I can only imagine the feeling of, like, writing songs for other people for quite some time, right? And then, like, you get to put out your first body of work. Are you like, this mm-hmm. is, like, a new feeling? Yeah, it was definitely a new feeling. I didn't really know what it was going to be like. Um, Because, like, the writing process is just kind of, whether you're writing for yourself or someone else, it's kind of the same until you start, like, going into the studio and, like, crafting the record. And then you're like, oh, this feels kind of different. Yeah. And then once it came out, it was, like, this whole different experience of, you know, having your voice on the songs. And now people, like, are, are associating you with, like, a certain body of music. And you're not just, like, the songwriter anymore. So I've been really enjoying having like both of these sides of my career now yeah and, uh, yeah it feels different but in a cool way it's like the artist side of you is now like the priority I guess right right I guess so yeah that's kind of cool so you released second guessing and you released a couple singles before the album came out in mm-hmm. choosing the singles that kind of followed was there an, like what were the was there thoughts around that or was there like a particular reason or things you know you want to come out ahead of the full like the full project uh, I think we just kind of went with songs that like we really loved and like we just thought would be a good introduction to what was about to come. Like 25 to Life was the second song we put out and that was the first song we chose for the record. So when we had like 300 something songs to narrow down from um, over like the four years I was writing, we just, it was so overwhelming to choose them. So I just picked one and then like built around them. So I felt like 25 to Life had been the anchor point for a long time. So that should be one that comes out. And then Unlearn, the title track, was like the most personal song and gave like listeners the most insight on who I am as a person and a little bit of my story. So we thought it was a good uh, one to lead out right before the album dropped. So I guess that was our mindset. Going yeah, that makes sense. And then Unlearn is, yeah, you said like super personal to you. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about like that and creating like a very person, a little bit more of a personal experience through a song? Sure. It was uh, pretty terrifying to put out. That was one that wasn't even going to be on the record because I was just pretty overwhelmed with the idea of sharing that with everyone but then um as I got like more into the crafting of the record and the whole purpose of putting out a debut record I was like you know what if I want people to know me and like get a good intro to me then I should just tell them about my most you know vulnerable parts I guess and for me that was growing up you know my parents divorced when I was really young and it's always like a very confusing thing to like be switching back between mom and dad's house and they're dating again. And, you know, it just, I don't know, relationships look kind of weird through that lens. And so it was just about me growing up and like discovering relationships for myself and kind of getting the empowerment of like choosing what I want my relationships to look like and what family should look like to me. And yeah, I don't know. It was a song I always wish I had when I was younger. And I felt like I was in a good spot being on the other end of all the messy parts of that and having like a big strong family unit now I felt like I was ready to tell that story for the first time speaking of the writing process um I I believe your writing partner on most of this album if not all the album was Jeff Warburton um mm-hmm. he's credited on I think every song right every song yeah um <laughs> like where did like what's your like what's your writing relationship with him like how does that like you obviously work really, really well together. Um, what's that process like? 
Yeah, I mean, he's the he's the guy I met at the party, right? So we were writing together back when I was just still working at the restaurant and had nothing going on. So it's kind of fun for us that we just stuck to what we've been doing, even though, you know, so much has happened. And, you know, we can just write as like friends first, which I think is a really safe place to write from. You know, we're not worried about giving out a bunch of bad ideas and like getting judged by a stranger in the room that we're writing with just for that day, you know? We, uh, we like to write for like chunks at a time. So we'll write for like a week or two weeks or something and just cram a bunch of songs in and just kind of be able to sit with these ideas for a long time and go back to them if we need to. And that's pretty much how we ended up writing most of the record. But we never really set out to write every song together for the record. I've been writing with tons of other people, you know, most of my career here. And it's just so happened that these are the songs that everyone liked at the label and the management and me and so it's kind of cool to have this win together and have 10 songs on a record. It's pretty special. He's on the on the whirlwind with you for this one. Yes. Um, it kind of says something too about um, like working with people who you get along with, who get along with you, who, like you get each other and it like you get to create this. Obviously the best work has come from, the best work we've seen obviously has come from you too. Mm-hmm. And so being able to pick out of like 300 songs and it being 10 songs the two of you wrote together, that definitely says mm. something about, you know, finding people you work well with, finding people you trust so that you both can like work together to create something really good, right? Totally. And I think it just makes it more fun too. Like growing up, playing music was all about, you know, having fun with friends or my family or, you know, that's what I got into it for. And so the fact that I can keep doing that now with these like writing relationships I have, um, it just makes like the good moments like that much better, you know? A hundred percent. What's your writing process like? Like, do you start with a melody idea or do you start with like a hook? Do you start with like a title? Uh, kind of varies depending on the song. I'd say like most of the time I have like these weird concepts in my head, which could be a title or just like a collection of, of lines. And uh, usually that's what I start with, with pitching to someone. And then they either tell me it's too insane and that'll never work or they you know, they give me a chance to explain myself a little more and then we kind of just flush it out from there. When somebody says no, like that sounds insane, you just like put it back in the book and like just bring it out, to, bring it to somebody else later. Oh, totally. Like <laughs> there's plenty of songs. Um, I feel like all songwriters do this, but it's like sometimes you have a title that just lives in your like little library for years and you've tried it like five, six times and no one saw any promise in it and then you just whip it out uh some random write again and then you have a great day and you write the song in like an hour and it just seems so easy i feel like sometimes these ideas just need a little time to like unlock a little bit or just find that one little thing that kind of opens the floodgates for everything else to come that's pretty normal that makes sense or like the right person to write with you like gets the right you know do you ever have like a moment where you're you're you bring in an idea and somebody flips it and you're like I never thought of it like that before. And then you're just like so ready to go and write that song now. Yeah, totally. Sometimes you have an idea and you think you know exactly how to do it. You're like, this will be so easy, guys. It's like, bing, bang, boom, this is done. And they're like, but yeah, but wouldn't it be cooler if you did this? And you're like, oh, that's way cooler than what I thought. So that's like the best part about writing with other people is like, like obviously they're incredible at writing songs as well, or or they wouldn't be here. And so it's cool to see other people's genius come out. And, you know, sometimes you're in a room and you're not having a good day, but someone else is having like an amazing day and their brain's just coming up with all sorts of cool stuff. And so at those moments you just pinch yourself and you're like, 
thank you for letting me be here today <laughs> and like to share in this greatness. Yeah, we can't all have great days every day. No, totally Unfortunately not. not. <laughs> um, why don't we talk about tour? I think you played a few dates with before the current tour. Um, with the Reclaws and Ashley Cook up in Ontario. Mm -hmm. I saw you at History in Toronto, which was technically probably your hometown show, awesome. right? Um, yeah, that's like the closest I've played to home in years. So that was no awesome. No kidding. Did lots of friends and family come out to that or? Tons, tons, like more than I ever thought were going to come. It was really cool to see everybody. That's so the way cool. you went like this, like to say tons, I thought you were going to be like, no. And I was like, Fuck, wrong question. <laughs> no one came. No one came. <laughs> no that was really cool though people were it was funny i was standing in the little pit area before it got in, into a mosh pit basically and um mm -hmm. people were i watched when you started saying second guessing and people were like i was like that's the sickest moment in the crowd knowing who somebody is on stage and people being like oh that's the person who sings that song very cool uh -huh. um but it was kind of cool probably to have the hometown crowd singing some of your song back to you right very cool. I mean, doing this job and chasing this dream in Nashville, it's like the coolest thing in the world, but also it's very far away from home. So I definitely feel that a lot of the time. And I wish I was doing stuff closer to home so that they can share in this with me. So anytime I get a chance to be close to home and have people come out that have known me since I was, you know, singing in my, my elementary school talent show and whatever, uh, it's, it's a cool moment. Okay, before we ask uh, about the current tour, what were you singing in your elementary school talent show oh man okay i actually remember so i was actually playing lead guitar i wasn't even the singer mm. of, okay. of my i was in seventh grade okay and there's a photo and i was playing a song by the strokes okay. right it's like okay. a garage band situation <laughs> and uh yeah our singer wore a wig i don't know why but it looked cool anyway oh, that cool. was like the only like lead guitar moment i've ever had in my career but i relished it and I, i'll never forget it <laughs> that's so funny. Did, that funny did you all wear wigs or 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 just the lead singer guy no just the lead singer and like huh. all the rehearsals like he never had one he just showed up to the gig with like a big like curly black wig that like didn't look semi-real it was like clearly a wig he just was leaving his clearly a halloween wig yeah <laughs> yeah clearly but i mean he rocked it it was good that's so, <laughs> so random. <laughs> okay, back to tour. So you hit the road with Lily Rose for a few weeks or months. I think it was like 18 shows or something. That's pretty cool. Couple, over a couple written, months. It was cool. You have a few cuts for Lily Rose, right? Yeah, I've written a couple for Lily. Right on. How was that tour? Super fun. I mean, uh, Lily's crew and band and stuff are so awesome. We just had like the best time traveling around and playing these clubs and her fans are like diehard fans. So I got to go up and sing a couple of the songs that I wrote with her. Um, oh, so cool. hearing them screaming them back is like really neat. And uh, yeah, they all listen to me play acoustic songs, just, just me on stage. And they, they were all super cool about it. And I had a lot of fun. Um, what's your like tour hack? What do you, what do other people need to know or need to be prepared for going on tour? Hmm. Snacks. snacks. Bring your own snacks. You know, like the whole rider thing. It's like you're like, well, I'm yep. just gonna give in my rider and have have my snacks. The snacks aren't always there, so you always <laughs> have to bring your own snacks. Because you, yeah. you might ask for like veggie tray, and they might give you like fruit roll ups, and you're like, well, that's not a veggie tray, is it? 
In fact, it's not a veggie tray. <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you get that so wrong? That's so disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> it'll do. <laughs> yeah, it'll do. I'll eat it. I like fruit fruit roll ups. What's your no- like? What's your number one snack for the road, or just in general? I guess. Um, I usually have like granola bars or like a protein bar. And I usually have like some sort of veggie tray scenario or like a meat and cheese scenario in case I like didn't have time to go get dinner. Cause that's the other thing too. It's like you're at soundcheck and then you play the show. And then by the time you're done, it's like 10 30 or 11 at night. And you're in these small little towns that like nothing's open <laughs> after 10 or 11. If you're playing on like a whatever Sunday night. So you, there's like no way to get dinner. So you really have to have snacks that like could double down as your dinner. I guess that's my, my, uh, mm-hmm hack my tip hearty snacks not just fruit yes. roll-ups do not expect other people to feed you right even when they offer they might not show up do you have a favorite i'm trying to think i'm not trying to say favorite what crowd do you have a does a crowd stick out for you on the lily rose tour that was like this was the best crowd of the tour um, it's so funny like the crowds, it's, like, very dependent on, like, the overall vibe and the venue and everything. So it's kind of, like, your favorite evening or whatever okay. instead of, like, a favorite yep. crowd. I really enjoyed Flint, Michigan. Um, okay. They were a super rowdy bunch. I loved playing in Columbus because I had a lot of Ohio friends that came out to there. And it was, like, I think that was the biggest show of the tour. It was, like, 1200 1300 people or something mm-hmm. so really cool venue and they were really there for it that night that's like your other what hometown. Else? yeah pretty much those are probably like my two standouts maybe maybe new york city they're pretty cool yeah i don't know they were all great this will already be this will be out by the time this is announced or whatever. I see it on your website. You're playing CMA Fest. Mm-hmm. So we, I don't see it announced anywhere else though. So, but this will be out after that. It's, a, it's out. So you won't get in is trouble. It? Is it? Okay, <laughs> yeah, cool. I think well, so. us, are you pumped to play CMA Fest? And is this your first CMA Fest? I'm super, super, super excited, especially because it's like a full band show, which we haven't been able to do yet. It's all just been acoustic stuff. So we're working hard to bring that to the people and just play these songs true to the record. And I'm really excited to get that going. Whereabouts are you playing at CMA Fest? Oh, what's it called? And it's the stage right by uh, like Bridgestone Arena, like the one outside, the Maui okay. Gym. Yep. Reverb stage, maybe? Reverb stage, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, that's exciting. First band show. Do you got the band together? I or do. Right now, yeah. That's probably kind of close. It's going to be good. <laughs> excited to play a full band show that'll be really great um i'm sure you've attended cma fest living in nashville what are your favorite kind of things about cma fest other than triple the people there triple the traffic that's already there that kind of stuff yeah it does get a little crazy but it's also like super cool to see like your i guess my now hometown or whatever like turn into that and then you you start to understand like how cool the country music scene is and like all these people traveling here just to see these artists that are working really hard all year round in this town. So I like to go down, even when I was never playing, I would just wander around and you hear like a different band, you know, or artists, you know, like around every corner and just to get to see so many different artists playing. 
What's your favorite thing? Sorry, this is becoming Q and A now that I'm just like spitting things off. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> what's your What's your favorite like local thing about Nashville? Like it's the shit that tourists don't know about. They haven't ruined it yet. Hmm. Well, I'm if I tell you, I'm gonna ruin it. But uh, anyway, my <laughs> I love the food here in general. There's a ton of like awesome, awesome food here that's not like down on Broadway or whatever. You can probably go to like a different cool restaurant like every night of the week if you want to. Um, but my favorite bar that's like not super popped off yet and kind of a cool vibe is called the Nashville Palace. So it's like near kind mm-hmm. of the Opry Mills uh, Mall. And it has like two rooms. So one room like turns into like a big party every weekend. The other room's like an old honky tonk with like old country and, you know, barbecue food and stuff like that. And there's like old couples you know, dancing and two-stepping. And so that's my favorite place to go just to like chill out for an evening or, you know, just. It's the worst place. He doesn't mean that. Don't go. Yeah, but don't go. Don't go though. Just take my word for it, but don't go. Don't go. Definitely don't (laughs) go. Okay. And then my last Q&A sounding question would be when you first got to Nashville, what's like one of your like core memories of like, oh shoot, I live here. Hmm. I don't know. I think like, I was staying in like this little apartment that a friend I knew owned and they weren't staying there. They were like in New York or something at the time. So they let me crash there. So I was just kind of couch surfing for the first few months I was here. And I remember just like, I didn't even have a car. I just moved down here with nothing and I was just wandering around. And so I'd like have my right and I would just be walking to my right every day. And sometimes it would take me like an hour because I didn't even know where it where it was or like in relation to me uh but i just loved like just wandering around music row and just like seeing everyone with guitars everywhere and coming in and out of their rights or going to a coffee shop and hearing people talk about songs i'm like whoa it's like my whole life i was kind of like one of the only people i knew that was like doing music or writing songs and stuff and so it was really something i did on my my own by myself and so this was the first time i was in a community or an environment where everyone was interested in what i was interested in so it was super energizing and super exciting. And I still get that feeling all the time, like wandering around, even though I've lived here for like five years. And you literally go to work on music row every day, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Good for you also. Like the whole, uh, well, first of all, when you said like you just walked everywhere, I'm like, why didn't you get a scooter? Those are so safe. I don't know if scooters were a thing around. yet. Okay. They might not even have been around yet. Fair. We just got mm-hmm. them. Well, I don't live where I am right now. I'm in Kitchener, and they just got the scooters, the orange ones. And somebody got hit by a car last week, so they're a work in progress. Unfortunately, that's a that's a real thing. They yes. scare me. They do scare me too. I actually, my best friend is in the next room, and she's gonna get like re-traumatized. But we went to, I went for the first time last summer. The uh, so we were riding scooters down to Broadway, from we were staying at just right behind Music Row, and. This car was, I was, we were in the bike lane. You're allowed to like ride your scooter in the bike lane, go with traffic, whatever. We're driving down. And then the last thing I remember is this car that was going straight suddenly decided to turn right. And my scooter was underneath of the vehicle. And I was like popped onto the street and people had like stopped me from falling because I went so fast. My best oh. friend is like watching me almost get hit by a car. We were tried to like, we tried to laugh. And then we just like, we went down to Broadway and we got to Broadway and it was like, oh shit, you almost got hit by a car. And then we had him meltdown but yeah anyways. it took a second it was a little delayed it was it's like the shock wore off and you're like oh fuck i'm so far from home if i got hit by a car right now. did you do a shot then well so we went we went to the twelve thirty club and we told our server and she was like here you here you go <laughs> have a drink and we 
so we did. So now you should just say that every time you go somewhere. You show up everywhere. I just almost got hit by a scooter. No, then I'm hit by a car. I can't put that right into the universe. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I'll knock on the wood. That is a lot for free booze, okay? (laughs) Yeah, there's got to be a line somewhere. Seriously, we're drawing it right here, okay? You you have travel insurance. It's fine. (laughs) One time. One time is all. Um, Anyways... Well, Griffin, we are, uh, on that note, we are coming up to the end of our conversation here and our time. Um, but what do you have coming up next? Uh, so after playing CMA Fest, we have some shows in Canada this summer, playing in BC and a couple in Ontario and Quebec. And so I'm excited to come home and just play some songs for the people. Nice. Love that. Mm-hmm. And where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on all my socials at Griffin Palmer or check out show dates and get tickets and stuff at my website, griffinpalmer.com. Or and you can Google search me. Apparently, that's the thing to do now. We'll do. On my way. On my way. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much, Griffin. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with us here. Um, and uh, make sure everyone uh, to uh, go check out Griffin Palmer on Spotify, Apple Music, and everywhere else. And go catch him on, on, uh, on the road this summer. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of On the Porch with Front Porch Music. We're so lucky to be able to chat with artists and make episodes like this one. If you like the podcast, remember to rate and review us, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It's the easiest way to support the show. Remember to check out frontporchmusic.ca to keep up with new music releases, exclusive artist interviews, and more. We'll catch you again on the porch in a couple of weeks. On the Porch is hosted by Logan Miller and Jenna Weiser and produced and edited by Jason Saunders. That's me. Our theme song was written, produced, and performed by Owen Wrigley.